Caleb dealt with three verses, and I'm just going to deal with uh, 16. So uh, if that's any kind of, uh, you know, kind of ideas to where we're going, uh, anyway, it, it ought to be an adventure. I'm not going to read all of it, but in, go ahead and turn to your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you would. Uh, we're continuing our journey through uh, this book of this letter from Paul to the Corinthians, and, and man, we're learning things about the Corinthians, aren't we? I, I, I said last week, we kind of took a break in there, let Caleb preach in between, because there's, there's kind of a, a break that takes place from chapter 6 to chapter 7. And, and the phrase is right there at the beginning where it says, Now for the matters you wrote about. Already there's an indication that Paul has received... Uh, either questions or maybe even a letter from the Corinthians saying, hey, we have some matters we, we need you to address. And there are all kinds. When we, as we can continue going through here, it's matters of worship, matters of giftedness, uh, matters of, of even just uh, how do, what, what should we do now as, as we're in this life as believers. And I think that's where we are today in chapter 7. Uh, a question, a specific question Dealing with uh, just how should we live? Oh, we're we're finding out things about the Corinthians, man. We're actually, you know, looking under the rug and in the closet, all those places you hide stuff you don't want anybody else to see. We're we're seeing it, right? Have have you been there with me? Uh, we're we're seeing their ugliness. We're seeing uh, things of division from jealousies and and just a. Uh, uh, treating each other poorly, even to the point of suing one another. We saw that uh, within those five chapters. Uh, we, we see uh, a lack of discipline within the church. There's someone who's openly and, and, and uh, you know, even, even that idea of freedom, taking advantage of freedom, saying, oh, we're free, therefore, uh, but he's involved in sexual immorality that shouldn't be, even the, even the community of uh, Corinthians thinks that this is, this is just wrong, can't believe he's involved in that. Uh, so, so we see what Paul absolutely labels in these first few chapters as they're immature. They're immature. And honestly, can I tell you that, that I, in, in a way they make, uh, make me feel good about the church every once in a while. Okay, when, when we see our flaws come out. We don't want to talk about it. Let, let's hide it in the closet or under the carpet, right? Are you, are you with me on that? Yeah, let's not bring that out. Paul brings it right out and says, let's deal with this. That's where we ought to be. That's where, that, as believers, that's where we ought to be. Let's uncover, let's deal with, let's seek forgiveness, let's live what God has called us to. Now what's interesting is, is what Paul deals with in chapter 7. Matter of fact, let's just introduce it like this by reading the first seven verses. Uh, at, you might leave, if you, if you have a, uh, either your device or a scripture available, you might want to leave it open because I am going to deal with uh, the verses that follow. But I want to introduce it this way. Let's read the first seven verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 7. There Paul says, Now for the matters you wrote about... It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. It's a good that we send the children out because that's the topic. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relationships, uh, relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. 
The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. And one has this gift, another has that. Okay, we're going to get into that in just a little bit. But uh, especially the way that Paul addressed this section of of questions, uh, you begin looking for, okay, what specific question did the Corinthians ask? And as I studied this, I really believe a a clear answer to that comes in verse 17 and, and following verses. In 17, Paul goes on to say, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned them to. Okay, well, what does that mean? And then verse 20 says, even clear, even clear, here it is. Each person should remain in the situation they were, uh, they were in when God called them. Uh, in a way, he's saying stay as you, don't, don't make any radical changes, stay as you were. As example, he says, man, those of you who were circumcised, don't become uncircumcised. I don't know how that works. But anyway, that's what he says. That's what he says. And, and he also says, if you, were, if you were uncircumcised, don't become circumcised. He said, man, emphasize just obedience. Emphasize that obedience. He also says, if you're, if you're in slavery, don't, don't escape. Don't run away from your master. Don't, don't uh, change that. Matter of fact, stay in slavery. He does say, man, if you find that opportunity, which, you know, if, if you understood all the, the details of slavery in that time, there was ways of getting out of slavery and doing it right and well. So if you find that opportunity, seek your freedom, you bet. But he says, don't change it because you became a believer. Can you imagine what he is saying, especially in 1 through 16, concerning your marital status? Your marital status, okay? Married, single, or divorced. See, the contents of all the Corinthians were right in there. There was married people, there were single people, and, and there were people who were divorced. They were right in there. So Paul is addressing this, this idea of, of, of people who are asking, okay, how should we live? And, and are, there, are there radical changes that we need to do right away? Why? Because Christianity, we know this to be true, there's transformation taking place. There's changes. It's from unholy, the, the clearest way we put it, it's from unholy to holy. To, to living unrighteous, to living righteous. And it's completely different. So what are the changes we need to make, maybe in that marital status? Here are this morning, just clearly, and, and I will say this. If you have questions, don't, don't just take it home and, and let it die. If you have questions, please, you could text me, call me. Or, or, you know, even come together and have some, some conversation about these things. Uh, this, this is full of information. So, so, again, this morning, Paul lays out these lessons concerning marital status. And the first place we're looking is the married people. 
And it really comes in connection, not just, not just with married people, but with married people and where Paul had just been. Last week, what we dealt with, what we dealt with was sexual immorality. Okay? So in this, Paul basically teaches that sexual appetites, that, that desire, sexual desire, sexual, sexual appetites must be satisfied through marriage. I did make that point last week, that, that this is the place where, where that appetite is given for us to be fulfilled. It is within the marriage relationship. Now, I, I think it's important that we look back and see what Paul is doing as well. Some of, some of the things he's doing. He is pulling statements that the Corinthians are holding on to. We saw it last week, and if you jump up to 6 verse 12, this is one of the statements. Remember, this was what was being said. I have the right to do anything. They were embracing the statement, and we said, hey, that's some people who were really enjoying the freedom and really abusing the freedom that came through Jesus Christ. They're abusing that freedom. So Paul is correcting it here. I have the right to do anything. So that's one of the statements he's dealt with. Here in chapter 1, there's another statement he makes that the, the Corinthians are embracing. What does he say? It is good for a man not to have sexual relations uh, with a woman. And, and so in this, uh, here, it's a statement being made, and Paul actually comes along and says, well, hey, I agree with that. I agree. That, that's a good statement. It kind of fits where he's just been about sexual immorality. It's good that you don't have sexual relations with a woman. And then the next verse, he says, but. If you, basically, he comes along and says, if you can't live under control, there's marriage. If you can't live under control, there's marriage. Now, God created marriage because there was loneliness and, and, and you know, man, we're created to be together. We are created to be together. And then that part, and, and to be able to have offspring, and I mean, we could go into all kinds of details. But in this case, Paul just says, if you can't be under control, you know, get married. Get married. And he goes into details here. He, he especially speaks in verses 3 and 4, and I, I, I really th- appreciate how he puts this. He says, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. Husbands, take care of your ladies. You know, in, the, in the areas where temptation and things like that, you need to be there for her. And, and also, the wife does not have, oh, excuse me, and, and likewise, the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. Hear that? But then he turns around and says the same thing to the husbands. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Throughout this chapter, he, makes, he, he, he looks at both views. From the husband's point of view, hey, you be responsible to your wives. And from the wife's point of view, you be responsible to your husbands. Which in the Old Testament, or a time before, it would have been more focused upon husbands. Remember, I, I think that's significant here. It, it is a mutual and and. and a very unique relationship that we've come into. Husbands, be responsible to your wives, and wives, be responsible to your husbands. Now, uh, of course, this is where God laid it out at the beginning. The two will become one flesh. It's that pursuit of, I care for my wife's needs. I care for her. I will take care of her. I, I, I'm going to be there for her, and vice versa. 
I, I think that's the pursuit of what God called us to. The two becoming one flesh. We didn't get married so we go our own directions at all. That, that I have no over, authority over myself, that belongs to her. Woo! That's a pursuit, isn't it? I mean, we make promises on the day we get married, but it is a pursuit. Uh, uh, and, and, and boy, and it's not easy to get there, is it? Uh, it? It's not easy to attain that, but it is worth the journey. For those of you who are younger and, and early in marriage, I will tell you, it is worth the journey for, for what God created marriage for, to becoming one. Oh, man, and it is sweet. It is sweet. So what God has provided in marriage is wonderful. He does say, he does say in verse 5, do not deprive each other except for maybe this one place, fasting. <laughs> it sounds like fasting. You might take a period of time where you're not coming together in order to do what? To focus my attention upon God. It's the same thing when it comes to fasting from food. Man, I'm not going to live according to my appetites. We learned that earlier. I'm not going to be a slave to my appetites. My life is not about my appetites. Therefore, I'm going to take some time to fast and pray. And the same thing in, in my relationship with my spouse. I'm going to take some time, mutual consent, that we're both going to agree that we're going to take this time not living according to our appetites, but we're going to... Let, let God know that he is most important. He is, he is our great priority in life. I'm not living by my appetite. So I think that's important. Let, let me just say, as I'm going through this, Paul, what he is doing is giving encouragement and, and giving direction to the church. And the church needs to be involved in marriages. That doesn't, up close and impersonal. But man, we ought to be encouraging our, our ladies in their marriage. And we ought to be encouraging our guys to be real men and, and, and to treat their wives as they need to be treated. We could do classes, I mean, focus on the scriptures, uh, spend time together. Men, you ought to be around guys who honor, speak honoring things about their wives, not belittling your ladies. Hear me? Are you listening? Not belittling your ladies. I mean, that's, that ought to be part of the church and loving what God has given us. This is significant. And the vice versa for the ladies. Ladies, you don't come together in order to belittle your husbands. And it ought to be a place where encouragement is given. And, and we're, we're growing to the place of looking to honor that person who is a part of us. Right? Isn't that right? Marriage. Marriage is the first place I, I believe that Paul looks here. Uh, the second place is that unmarried or the singleness, the singleness. As a matter of fact, Paul makes it very clear this point. It is good to be single. Paul, who is single, says, hey, it's good to be single. Matter of fact, points that in verse 7, which we've already read. He says, I, I, excuse me, I wish that all of you were as I am. I wish you were single. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. He says it is a gift to be single. I don't think the church looks at that very often like that. Man, if you're not married, well, you know, we need to find someone for you, ladies. I don't know too many guys do that, but I do know some ladies who are very, well, you know, who is it? Who can we match them up with? And get her. But what Paul says, it's actually a, a gift, it's a, and, and actually, a gift from God is singleness. It's singleness. Later on, Paul makes it very clear. He, he basically says, 
those who are single have their focus in one direction. Man, they have their attention upon the Lord and what's good for the Lord. Verse 32 later in this chapter, you want to look it up. So, so there's a, a special place for singleness. Matter of fact, even the church, when we look at a minister, what are things? Well, let us talk to his wife. Well, why? Well, because, you know, they come as a package. Well, I'm not married. Well, well let's keep looking. That, that, might, that might possibly be a reason that some won't hire, uh, you know, a minister because he's single. But he has the gift of singleness, and he has his focus upon God. I will tell you that life is not easy, even as a grandpa. We had two little boys in our house. I brought him over here, and we started about 30 minutes early. And, and I took care of Isaiah. He got in there. And then where's Oliver? I, I, didn't, I love to meet people at the door, but today I wasn't meeting people at the door because I'm going up and down the hallway saying, where's Oliver? You know, And no one knew where Oliver was. And finally, well, he went downstairs. You know, there's, we'll deal with that later. But see, my focus... <laughs> You know, and I, but that's my years. Ever since we were married, where's Travis? Where's Brady? Oh, good grief, where's Lindsay? You know, yeah. that, that, that's my concerns, you know, and, and, and rightly so. God wants our focus, our attention upon the one that we are connected to and, and our responsibilities. We have to share that responsibility with our love for God. And, and he created that way, and it's, it's a blessing. But Paul says, man, I wish you were like us. Now, now listen, verse 8 says this. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried, as I do. Did you hear that? Paul's saying, man, if you're single, stay single. Well, we don't hear that much often. I, I don't hear that very often in the church. But, hey, if you're single, stay single. Paul says, it's wonderful. <laughs> but, but listen, also, it's important for us not to assume that when it says unmarried, it's just people who've never been married. Well, so what we're talking about is people who've never been married and to widows. I don't think that's right. It's more likely that we must consider that the people he's talking to is not just those who have never been married, but also those who have been divorced and the widows. He's speaking to everyone who is... Who is um, uh, who is single. And, and, and the reason we have to do that is because, hey, when we think about the, the, the community of believers, the community of believers that have come together, uh, there has to be, there has to be all those involved in that. People who've come to the Lord, who've come out of paganism. There's, there's people who are single and never been married. There are widows in, as a part of that. And there are people who've gone through divorce as a part of that. And Paul's encouragement to them is, hey, don't get married. But then verse 9, what does he say in verse 9? But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. If they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. It is, it is better to marry than to continuously have trouble with the temptations and the burning uh, of your own desires. Are you with me? <laughs> it's important for us also, and I said, man, the ministry of the church ought to be focused upon those who are married. Our ministry of the church ought to be focused on those who are not married and be 
be people who value those uh, who are single. Be uh, holding them uh, as valuable parts of our congregation. People who have the opportunity to focus their greatest attention upon God and, and, and see them uh, as, as God does. And as Paul does here throughout our scripture. Now divorce. Now divorce. And I wrote it this way. I said, divorce is permissible, but don't do it. <laughs> That's kind of the church's stance, right? I, I, I believe it is. Um, now, now, some in the, amongst the Corinthians, some amongst the Corinthians are obviously thinking this, that, that here, here I am, I have come to know Jesus, and I'm, I, I have this opportunity to now... I'm changing, I'm becoming different because of Christ working in me, but I'm married to this unbeliever. I'm married to a pagan. I'm married to someone who's involved in idolatry, doing things that, that I know is wrong, and I'm married to them. It would seem right in my own mind from, from a group out of the Corinthians. They want to do what's right. They're pursuing, they're, they're thinking correctly. Should I go ahead and divorce this person because they are uh, because they are unchristian. They're not believers. And in some ways, there could be a group that's done that or been thinking that way. And Paul's answer, as we'll get to it, is no. Matter of fact, let me read for you verses 8 and 9. Oh, excuse me, 10 and 11. There he says, To the married I give this command, not I but the Lord. He's thinking about what Jesus has said and what he's heard, lessons from Jesus. He says, a wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. No divorce. That's what Paul lays out. Hey, listen, if you become a Christian and a believer later on, he'll emphasize this, but you're married to an unbeliever, don't divorce. Otherwise, hey, you know, don't divorce. And he says, as the Lord has said. Man, if you want to go see what Jesus taught concerning divorce, Mark chapter 10. First 12 verses go through there. Jesus was approached by the religious leaders concerning divorce. And he said, well, is it permissible for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus responded, well, what did Moses say? And, and Moses, oh yeah, Moses, Moses said it's okay. Moses gave us, you know, the, the opportunity just to give her a certificate of divorce and sit her on her merry way. That's what Moses said. And Jesus' response to that was, it's come about because of your hard hearts. Jesus moves on. He says, originally, let, you want me to answer what God created marriage for? Let me go back to the beginning. It wasn't for divorce. It wasn't for divorce. God created the two to become one, not in order for us to separate it. So absolutely in the Old Testament it says God hates divorce. And, and, and it's not right. Divorce is wrong, absolutely wrong. It's not what it was created for. But then Jesus comes along and it's because of hard hearts. Hey, it's because of a broken world. Right? It's because of a broken world. It's because of our rebellion. It's because of the ugliness of our sinfulness. That there's divorce that takes place. The bottom line, it's because of uh, where we've taken it. 
And, and matter of fact, Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, here's, here's how he starts this, this law. He says, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, kind of open door as to what that might be, right? And he writes a certificate of divorce and gives it to her and sends her from his house. There it is. Why did that happen? It wasn't created for that, but out of the hardness of... Uh, but let, let's just bottom line it. It is because of our sinfulness and brokenness. There's divorce. There's ugliness. Praise God for his mercy and grace. Are you with me on this? <laughs> Praise God for his mercy and grace. Absolutely. Because I know divorce is, uh, is rampant. Matter of fact, the church uh, through... through uh, all, as a matter of fact, even now you could find churches in different ways that they look at divorce and remarriage. There's, there's those that are hardliners, you would call them, that neither do, divorce or remarriage is ever permitted. No, 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 no. Right? There, there, there are, maybe you know them. Yeah, I was there myself. I say, man, we ought to pursue what God had created and not, not be disrespectful at all. Matter of fact, that's the way, I, that's the way us as believers look. Marriage is sacred. It's a uniting of two, and that's our, but to us, it's our pursuit. It's, it's what we want to see happening between a husband and a wife is growing and, and finding a solid place in that marriage. Number two, another place is, is many believe that divorce at times is permitted, but never remarriage. Boy, if you get divorced, you can never get remarried because it's adultery. Matter of fact, go to Mark chapter 10, read the rest of that. He ta- addresses his apostles. He said that's what happens when remarriage takes place. That's what happens when marriage takes place. Again, we go back to the place. Yeah, that's the place where sinfulness and brokenness comes from. Absolutely. But this, this next one more reflects where we are. And I think where, where Scripture opens up, even as we go through this chapter 7, uh, and is that the fact that, that divorce is permitted. Both divorce and remarriage is permitted in the cases of adultery and desertion. What does desertion mean? Man, that, that's wide. Desertion might have everything to do with the breaking of the two become one flesh. It's two that never, never make that that absolute connection where, where they, they just don't follow through with what God commanded a marriage. And then there's also the extreme that I believe marriage is, I mean divorce is a convenience. And I don't believe, man, I, I believe the church stands on the place of saying, this is what God has created, this is what we want to pursue. And the church needs to be right there, again, saying we want to encourage and strengthen those who are married. And if those are going through and, and even thinking, man, facing a possible divorce, the church ought to be right there and saying, man, let us help you find a solution. Or maybe let's find a direction to where we could reconcile, help you to heal whatever is hurting within your marriage. We ought to be there. But what happens if divorce takes place? Oh, man, think long and hard about this because it's, it's easier to be on that side of, man, looking at them and thinking condemnation, right? But the truth is divorce happens, and it ought to reflect the God that we serve, mercy and his forgiveness. Am I right? 
It is about that mercy and forgiveness and a, a seeking after healing. Healing in that relationship. Correct? Man, we are so dependent upon God. And, and let's just face it, everybody in here this morning is messed up people, except the babies you're holding. <laughs> We're messed up people. I, I can't put condemnation on anyone for where my mind has been and what activities I've had in the past. And even there's times I think of what I'm capable of. What I'm capable of. An anger that's out of control or lust that's out of control. And I am so dependent upon God. And, and how does the church move forward with each one of us except with his mercy and grace? We need to be involved. I wanted to emphasize again that staying with an unbeliever. I think there's some very neat parts in there, especially verse, uh, verse 14. But let, let me read 12 and 13. Here's where he emphasizes, okay, you who are believers, you who are men, have your focus upon God and you're married to an unbeliever who's so contrary. All of a sudden there's contrary things happening in your life. What do I do? 12 says, to the rest I say this, if not the Lord, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is and is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. That's the command. Then verse 14. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. I love this verse. I want you to love it too, because there's an underlying principle that, that I believe is for anyone who is in Jesus Christ. You are tremendously valued. Why? Because Christ is in you. Christ is in you. The Holy Spirit has chosen his dwelling within you because of Christ in you, the cleansing. And, and you are a significant person. Now it says that for those who are an unbeliever with a believer, guess what? Because of that relationship, the, the husband or the spouse is, is sanctified. What does that mean? Does it mean they're saved? I don't think so. No. Because later on in verse 16, it says, How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? That only through Jesus will they find salvation. It is only through their decision to receive Christ, right? But if they stay in a relationship and they watch you in that relationship, they watch the transformation that's taking place. They watch a love that's changing. They watch a forgiveness that's taking place in your life. You have the greatest opportunity to, uh, to show them Jesus. Isn't that right? Not just sharing, hey, this is the gospel message, but showing them what that love looks like. Being an example of that. And I think you have a great opportunity. So what does it mean that they're sanctified? I, I believe it's meant... You're sanctified, you're righteous, and you have the opportunity to live in that family. And it is a benefit to that unbelieving spouse. It is a benefit to your children. When Christ is living and working in you genuinely, it is a benefit to the rest of the family. They're going to have great opportunity because of your example of love. And I love how some of you are doing it. Some of you are doing it really well. 
And, and, and we, as a church, what do we do? Support, encourage, pray for. Right? Come alongside. Say, man, I know what you're praying about. I'm praying for your spouse. I'm praying for your children. I know you feel like you're alone in this, but, but I want to support and encourage you. See, man, the church is involved all the way through this. Paul's involved in this, saying this is important for you to know. This is important for all of us to know and help each other as we move forward to pursue the Savior who gave his life up for us. Amen? Amen. Right. Stay as you are. Verse 17 and, and, and verse 20 uh, seems to be that bottom line of what they were asking. I mean, what do we do? Do we change these things? And, and Paul's answer to them is no. Man, if you're married, man, especially if, if you're married, know that it's, it's given to you in order to, to overcome sexual immorality. You know, that's where you find a place to overcome the appetites, the desires. In singleness, in singleness, hey, don't be ashamed if you're single. Paul says, man, I wish you were like I was. He's bragging on it a little bit. Be single. And then verse 32, if you're single, embrace verse 32. Guess where you could have your focus, your attention is upon, upon him. And what pleases him. Not just, okay, I'm going to please him. Okay, but i got to take care of her too. And, and those kids over there, yeah, i, I got to take it. But man, I want my eyes focused on And that's a benefit, of course, to everyone around. But you've got to divide it, it seems like. But being honoring to, to, to God is also being taking care of her and this family. Or him, sorry. Well, all one-sided here. Her or him uh, in this relationship. And then Divorce. Again, we will always stand on the place, man, what God has given us in, in, in marriage is, is meant till death do us part. It, we're supposed to find that wonderful place where the two become one flesh, where the two become one flesh, connected in an intimate way. That is precious. That is wonderful. And that's what we're pursuing. And, and so again, uh, we, we need to pursue and, and work together in, in that, not just the, the foundation of promises has been laid. Now it's to fulfill it, to love, honor, and cherish, and, and to meet each other's needs in, in that. And definitely we don't want to divorce when it comes to uh, uh, an unbeliever. An unbeliever. I, I did miss this, but the passage does say, the passage does say that, that if the unbeliever chooses to leave, the, the, Paul says, let him go. Let them go. Let them go. Let them, I mean, that divorce, it's like you never were. If they choose. He says, and, and the point of it is keep the peace. Don't make it a battle. If the unbeliever wants to leave, you let them go. All right. Stay as you are. Let's, let, let me pray first. And I hope, uh, again, there's, there might be a lot of questions when it comes in so many verses, but we're going to unpack the rest of this chapter uh, 7 next week. Uh, so if you do have questions, it might be helpful in preparation next week. So don't, don't, be, don't hesitate, but let me know. There's, there's good things in God's Word always. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you for your Word. Lord, we want to know your word and embrace it, Lord, and be obedient before you. We praise you for Jesus 
who has uh, come to change our lives, transform us. And Father, uh, as we see Paul today, that, that as we make those, those changes, it's not about tossing everything out. It's not getting rid of relationships. It's not about uh, uh, changing things radically. It is, it is staying as we are and allowing those changes maybe to come as we grow in you. Father, we praise you for uh, your word, your instruction. And we pray, Lord, to, to always uh, to focus upon the guidance we're given through your word, through your spirit. Help us, Lord, to be a church that supports, encourages, and strengthens marriages, that supports and encourages our single people, that supports and encourages each of those, even those who are, go through divorce. God, uh, we just praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.